Today's date is March the 21st, 2018. I got that part right. Amen. Title of today's message is Power with a Purpose. Power with a Purpose. Come on, last Sunday, Pastor Wade preached a passionate word. Strong hands. Everybody say strong hands. Steady knees. And liquid hearts. Can we share it from Isaiah 35? And in it, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Say, Be strong. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. In this message, he shared two prominent words Kazakh. Everybody say Kazakh. And Amats. Everybody say Amats. These two words remove or rectify a liquefied heart. This message was timely. And here's why. God is strengthening our church. I'm watching the Lord empower, embolden, fortify, build up every member of this church. That it's not dependent on one or even a few. But it's dependent upon all, and everybody is stepping up to the plate. I want to tell you that we are proud of you guys. Here's some things that have surfaced in the past couple of days that demonstrate the strengthening and edification of our church that makes us so proud. Uh, During our prayer time for the turkey team, from the hours of 12 a.m., glory, hallelujah, all the way up to, is it 11, 11 uh, a.m., or 2 p.m., yeah, thank you. My easer helped me out. 2 p.m. We have you guys lifting up, warring, battling in prayer so that our team can have the clarity, the direction, and the power of God in every move that they make. Well, consistently, not just once, but consistently, there will be text messages that make their way to Pastor Wade or myself, and they have the same scripture references in two or more of the text messages. And I know that there isn't collusion at 2 or 3 in the morning. You can barely read the word the at 2 or 3 in the morning. I know some of your prayer times are filled with lots and lots of prayers in tongues. You know, back in the day, we used to have a a prayer conference call. It began at whenever, I don't know, God woke up at 5 a.m. And there were, Charlie just gave an amen on that one. And people would get on the line and with great hearts, but with tired physical bodies and souls, they would begin to pray. They'd pray in tongues until one or two actually would fall asleep with the phone to their mouth. And you would hear them snore. <laughs> so to spare everyone of that shame, we went to individual prayer. But I want to encourage you that your prayers are powerful and effective And they are a demonstration of you guys being unified with the Holy Ghost and therefore unified with each other, including the turkey team. Uh, Rock, I mean, the Kazakh and Amats are also being demonstrated and strengthening our church through acts of service by putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves while getting a stronger grasp on the sacrificial heart of God and joyfully seeking the means to sow into missions. What this little church is doing is that it is rocking the planet with powerful men and women of God planted throughout continents and nations. 
And families are being raised up in these continents and nations that are impacting communities and eventually going to impact nations as generations increase. You guys, us, we are doing this. One thing we must never fail to deafen our ears to is a hallmark of Pastor Wade's message, and that is to Kazakh and to Amats. Then we have to be strong, and you have to be courageous. There is no other avenue to which to find the power of God that is present. Let's start with this. Everybody turn to Isaiah 61, and we'll start with verse 1. Say there when you are T-H-E-R-E. I was hoping and praying I would spell that right as it came out of my mouth. Y'all there? Come on. I love this church. I love my church. God, y'all are awesome. So building on the word from Pastor Wade, the... The power with a purpose begins here in Isaiah 61. And I want to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to take you through six scriptures that I'm only going to read portions of. And then we're going to back it up in reverse and come back to these. And I'm going to show you and demonstrate in these scriptures how there is power with a purpose. So verse 1 of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Say it with me. Say, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the of the sovereign Lord is, on me. is on me. Who is it on? Me. Look to your neighbor and say, it's on me. It's on me. Amen. All right. In your notes, because I know you're good students taking notes, write in parentheses, one life, because we're going somewhere with this. One life, because the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. All right. Let's go to Numbers. Chapter 11, verse 17. Say there when you are there. There There we go. Come on. Hallelujah. Numbers 11, verse 17. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. And that the spirit that was resting upon Moses to lead the nation would then rest on the 70 elders that would minister to the rest of the nation down below him. This was ministry to the family of God. That the spirit of the sovereign Lord that was on Moses would now rest on those that God would designate as a delegation to the ministry of the family of God. So next to this scripture, I want you to write in parentheses, one family. Has everybody got that? Are y'all seeing a pattern here? Can you guess where we're going to go to next? Oh, man, y'all are brilliant. Amazing. I love my church. All right, let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 14. In 2 Chronicles 20, 14... We read, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah. It's a good name. The son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. We pick this scripture because it is the anointing of the Levitical priesthood that will minister to the entire nation of Israel. And it begins with 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and it lists the lineage. You know, without the Spirit of the Lord coming upon us, we are powerless, which therefore makes us purposeless. You know that God is intentional in everything that He does. There's not a a dot or iota that is missed in the purpose of what God says, does, or even implies or embeds in the code of mankind and creation. That there is not one single fabric of creation that is lacking a clarity and purpose that declares exactly who God is. Do you know that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made? They were engineered by the hand of God to be empowered by the Spirit of God. To be filled with the Word of God. So we can demonstrate the image of God. That's each and every one of us sitting in this place. You know, as I'm watching that God is empowering and strengthening our church. And we need it. We need it every day. We need to know where to put that, that strength. We need to know where to put that power. You ever witnessed... Someone spending years, 15, 20 years, going to the gym religiously. And then that, that is an actual literal meaning, religiously, worshiping the weights. And they build themselves up to become so ripped and so pumped just to stand on a stage and flex in a mirror and prove how great they are in comparison to everybody else. Do we seek, do, analyze the motives of your heart? And this includes myself. Do we seek the power of God so that we can flex in the mirror and show off in front of our friends? Do we seek the power of God so that we can build ourselves up without building anybody else up? You know, I was a 155 pound freshman in high school with my pads on in football and soaking wet. I was a beanpole of a football player. If I didn't have shoes, my legs would have gone right into the ground. That's why they had cleats, too. Well, during our practice season, there was a guy from Canada. And he probably weighed a cool 230. And he was nothing but muscle. He could bench press 315 pounds eight times and do three sets. He was a beast. And it just so happened that one day on our one-on-one drills, so no other body lined up, mano y mano. You go at it and see who can push the other to the other side. They paired me up with this guy. I had to rock Kazaka Mats at that moment. I had no idea what that word meant. But I realized that this guy had such a natural and formidable power that he wielded. But I wondered... Why my coach decided to put me with this guy? I had no idea. It's because my coach could see something I couldn't. Though this guy could have all this strength and power, he had absolutely no idea what to do with it. And me and my 155-pound self could push him around like a three-year-old was in front of me. I had mastery over him. And this was my freshman year in, in football. I was not a talented athlete. I was just somebody that was tenacious and knew how to give my all. But one thing my coach did is that he trained my hands for a battle and my fingers for war. You know what God is doing in this place? He's taking those who are scrawny, who have nothing to offer in this world, who have no natural strength. And he's empowering you to have mastery over what the devil has put in front of you. We're going to see those in our church 
healed and healed completely. We're going to see families in this church sent out to Turkey, sent out to other nations and plant works that mega churches never even dreamed of. We're going to do more than people can expect that we can do. Because they're going to take note that we've been with Jesus for a little bit. Let's continue on to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. There. Good to see you, Wendy. <laughs> Acts 1, 8. But you will receive what, saints? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If there's an expectancy that we're to always have, that birth the living God or church of the living God, is that there's an expectancy that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there should be power present. You know, it's one of the the staples in the, the list for our one association of churches. There were to constantly, fervently, consistently hold to the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Because as we're looking through our scripture chain, that without the Spirit of God coming upon us in power, we are powerless and we are therefore purposeless. Let's go to our next one. 2 Timothy four seventeen. This is Paul speaking, and he says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. How do you think that the Lord did that? The Spirit of the living God came upon him in power. You know, we've been talking a lot about having the strength of God in our arms, in our knees, to remove a liquid heart. There was a point in time in Paul's life where he was left outside of town for dead after being beaten. And the sentence of death was in his heart. But the Spirit of God came upon him in power, resurrection power, and lifted him up and he went right back into that city. If you're not bold, if you're not courageous, if you don't know what to say or what you do say doesn't come out right, I want to encourage you today. The Spirit of God can come upon you in power. And you can be exactly what you need to be in that moment. There is no room for fear in the kingdom of God except for the fear of the living God. And we have to cling to it with all of our might. There is no other option, saints. None. Well, let's go to Revelation 11.3. In Revelation 11.3 says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. I don't know about you, but I would need the power of God to do that. I know that after, after prophesying for about an hour in worship, I'm tired. I'm exa- physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. These cats are going to do it for 1,260 days, and on top of that, do it in burlap. I can barely do it in shoes that aren't, don't fit right. But they're going to do it by the power of God. Now let's begin to make the, the statement complete in that there is power with a purpose. 
skip down to verse 6 of, Rome, of Revelation 11. And let's see what they were given power to do. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Is that power, saints? They were given power with a purpose. Let's look to some of our other scriptures. 2 Timothy 4, 17. Go back to that one. I'm making you turn all over the place, but at least you've been there already. I'll start again at the beginning. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that, everybody say so that. Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The power of God filled Paul's body so that Gentiles could hear the good news. We are the recipients of the power of God at work within Paul. We are being blessed and edified not only with his letters, but with the work that he did throughout the region of Judea, throughout the region of Samaria, throughout the region of Turkey, modern day Turkey. We are reaping the benefits of the power of God he is referring to right here in 2 Timothy 4. Say this after me. Say power, power. with a purpose. purpose. Y'all on target. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And let's read it all the way through. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And all Judea. And Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. You know this word witness. In Greek is martyr. It's like we're following in the same footsteps. Of what we read in Revelation 11. The two witnesses. These two witnesses received power. They shut up the skies. They were also put to death and came back to life. And then tore the house down. Power with a purpose. You know, Acts 1.8 is the hallmark of the promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost that began at Pentecost. Something that Peter said, this gift is for you, your children, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's us. And that the power that we experienced in worship... The power that we have been experiencing for whatever time that you've been a lover and a follower of Jesus. Every single time you experience that power, it has a purpose. Now, the initial purpose may be to set you free from the bondage of sin. That you are no longer a slave to it. But instead, you are at war with it. Years later, it may be the power to lift up your hands and your hands now heal those who are sick. Your words set free the captives that were just like you, a captive to sin. That there is always a purpose to the power that we receive. Let's go to Second Chronicles 20. We'll pick up in verse 14 and read through 15. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziah, son of Zechariah, 
the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asa. And he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You know what the power of God will enable you to do? It will enable you to speak to kings and tell them how the cow ate the cabbage. It will enable you to have the boldness to say words that transform an entire nation. It will give you the power to walk into a remote village and where the people are so superstitious if something goes wrong because of your presence there, they will stone you, they will kill you. And yet through your words and by the Spirit of God upon those words, you can speak life that demolishes that demonic stronghold and brings the gospel of transformation to that village. Through your words, you can do the impossible when the Spirit of God is upon them. Even the most seemingly impossible, like sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and having a Holy Ghost-filled conversation with your family. (laughs) Your family who doesn't understand you. Your family who doesn't know you anymore. Your family who thinks that you're in a cult and are led by a cult leader. It's a great message. Listen to it. The Spirit of God comes upon you. But more importantly, the driving thing that I want within this message is not for me to realize this. It's not for someone watching this message to realize this. I want you to realize it. I want you, every single person in this room, to realize you have access to the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. And that access gives you the right to then partake of the Spirit of God and therefore the power of God. And in doing so, you are empowered to have a purpose. You know, one of the first things that we make sure that every man understands that comes in this church is to know his purpose statement, his mezuzah statement. Because if a man doesn't know what direction he is going with his life, you're going to waste your life. You will take the power of God that falls upon you in a service, walk outside the door, and aimlessly shoot it around and have no effect whatsoever. But the reason that the devil seeks so hard to crush this little church is because we are hitting him square in the mouth. We have the power of God upon us because we seek the holiness of God. You know that repentance precedes power? Why is it that we're constantly evaluating our hearts before God's throne? It's seeking for His Word to cut our hearts and remove whatever doesn't matter, doesn't uh, allow holiness. Because we need, it's a necessity to have the power of God flowing through us. And I nor you want any obstruction to His power flowing through us. Say power. Power. With a purpose. Amen. Numbers eleven seventeen. You know, in the early days, when we were in a garage, the first garage, that had wonderful sheetrock hung upon the ceiling, which Eric and Jen 
so faithfully did before we got there. The electrical was impeccable. Everything was tied together with electrical tape. The sockets were pristine, loosely fitting in there. But you know what thing, one thing that was evident, everybody commented on, lost and saved. They would walk through the front doors. You'd see a chaos of kids below the age of five. They would walk through a laundry room that Jen had so decoratively hung a sheet to hide everything. And there was that interim, you know, it was a, a, basically a closet as a, a laundry room. And if you're not careful, if you close one door before opening the next, you're standing in complete darkness. <laughs> so you had to time it just right. And for, for newcomers, that was a really odd experience for them. <laughs> they're, they're waiting for the Kool-Aid to come out. But when done right, that next door was open. Everyone said, I feel God's presence in this place. Then that little small garage, God began to pour out His Spirit. We didn't have everything right. We didn't know what we know now. But we knew that we had His power. And we knew what our purpose was. Our purpose was to plant a church with not a building to plant the people of God into the purpose that God has for their lives. And by doing so, we're going to raise up generations that would do the very thing that we did. And as God has added each family to this church, I have seen the purpose of God get clearer and more lucid. And that's because every single person in this building is essential. Absolute essential. Without you, we can't do this. There are moments, and there have been times, where men, where men and women have forsaken and backed away from what you now participate in. They left a hole, and it hurt. Our body suffered. It suffered spiritually, it suffered emotionally, and it suffered financially. But what God has been faithful to do is fill in their spots. Let me tell you, there's still some spots that aren't filled yet. But my God is faithful. That what we experience on an ongoing basis of his power being poured out is a testament that there still is a purpose to this church. We're going to raise up five-fold ministers. We're going to raise up pillars that are immovable, upholding the standard of God. Speaking of that, Numbers eleven seventeen. Let's finish it up. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people. So that you will not have to carry it alone. Let me speak to those in the room who may have a hard time. Not only wrestling with your mezuzah and how it takes place, but that you feel like you're not necessarily fivefold. If this is you, and I know there are those of you in this room, you are a pillar 
in the house of God. By your presence in this church, you're being trained, you're being formed to help carry the burden of the people. I want to take this moment to brag on our elders. Charlie Brown. Charlie and his wife, Joellen, have been pillars everywhere that I've ever seen them go. They grab a hold to the vision of the man of God that they've been placed next to. They hold it high and they become immovable. No matter where they have planted their feet, where God has planted their feet, this is what's followed them. Everyone who participates in fellowship and ministry in their home walks into an atmosphere that feels like it's their own home. It feels like they're returning back to their parents' home where there is comfort, where there is nurturing, where there is cultivation of call, that they're constantly seeking to see others go further than where they have gone in the faith. Our body is not the same without them. That the power of God upon them to be elders is with the purpose of help carrying the burden that lies within all of the lives in this church. It is a weight that is carried by the leadership. That weight of the concern of how you are doing. The concern of are you going to succeed in God's kingdom today? Are you going to make right discernments tomorrow? Are you going to stay holy? Are you going to continue to seek God and overcome and be successful in everything that you do in the next couple of weeks? We're not even talking about years. But just the short term is a burden that weighs on all of the leadership's heart and chest and the center of our being. We walk around trying to figure out what anxiety it is that we have. And it's not an anxiety. It is the God gift of the burden of carrying the people of God. And without elders, we cannot do this. Without a small mechanic shop on Derry Ashford Drive. There would not be the ever-revolving door for Nick and Judah to minister to people in this church. The people come in there for more than one reason, and it's definitely more to be repaired in their mind and their heart than it is in their car. As a show of hands, raise your hands if you have journeyed into Ashford Memorial Auto to be ministered to by an elder and a son, not just your car. Amen. That's 80% of our church. For the rest of you who are in the 20%, make an effort. Stop by. It's a blessing. If you've never been to a Brown home meeting, make an effort. It's a blessing. They help us carry the burden of pastoring this church. Without them, we can't do it. I want to tell them thank you. So say this after me. Power. Power. With a purpose. Let's go back to Isaiah 61. Amen. Before we begin in Isaiah 61 verse 1. Have you ever read a scripture. And overlooked a small word. That made a big difference. Absolutely. This is one of them for me. I want to share it with you guys tonight. In verse 1 of Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because. Say because. Because. 
Now, in English, that's rel- relatively flippant. It's common. I skipped right over it for 20 plus years. But I want to highlight something that plays into and edifies the content of what we're studying tonight. Tara, put up that slide. The Hebrew word for because is ya'an. Strong's number 3282. From an unused root meaning to pay attention, properly heed, by implication, purpose, for the sake or account of. Used adverbally to indicate the reason or cause. This is what began to get my attention. That the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me for a purpose. You know, part of our, our testimony about our unified Ichad prayer times here recently is that last night there was a total of three separate people who texted us what they were praying over the night. And those three people had Isaiah 61 at the top of their mind. Can I say that let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. You know, I was thinking just about the word power when wondering what to give you guys tonight. And I thought I would be an idiot if I just skip right past what God has echoed three times in our prayer life. And that this is what's stirring within our body and that is for the turkey team and it's for us. And as I begin to dig further, it's here in this word that I saw that everything that occurs after this point of Ya'an was demonstrating to us how to have power with a purpose. So let's go to the first one. Y'all ready? All right. Let's go back to... Isaiah 61, verse 1 on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Ya'an, or for the purpose of, to preach good news to the poor. Let's start with 1 Samuel 22, 2. Say there when you are there. Now we're going to have a total of five things. That we see in this list of purpose that goes along with this power. 1 Samuel 22, 2 says, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, that being David. And he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. I don't know about you, but I've met one or two distressed, in debt, and discontented. And I think this room, at some point, was, that's all of us. But now we have 400 men. Their leader, David, came and he preached good news to them. And that good news hit the poverty of their spirit. It hit the poverty of their soul. And it awoken them into life. So a demonstrable action that you can have with the power, with a purpose, the power you receive, is that minister to those who are poor. 
minister to those who are poor. You know, Jesus' ministry was to the poor, those in Galilee, those in Nazareth, fishermen and not princes. He chose the lowly and the despised, the rejected, to make those his disciples and eventually apostles that will sit on thrones that surround the throne of God. Seats of honor and leadership. What can God do with a reject? He can change this world. God glories and rejects. So make sure that when you are getting power here, when you're getting power from reading God's word, spending time in your prayer life, when you go out there, look for the poor. Look for those who are rejects that the world doesn't want. Look for those who struggle day and night just to try to make ends meet, not because of their own sinful habits, but because life just hasn't gone right for them. They've lost jobs. They've been in divorce situations. The effects of sin, but not their personal sin, has done this. Seek out the poor. This is who Jesus went after. 1 Samuel 2, starting in verse 8. Say there when you're there. An example of someone who is poor is Hannah. Not Hannah Parsons. She's rich, richly blessed and highly favored by the living God. But this was Hannah in 1 Samuel. And her prayer was that he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. You know, receiving the news that she would be pregnant with a son... And dedicating him before the Lord. She's rejoicing in the ministry that the Spirit of God is doing to her soul. That he is lifting her up from a rubble. An ash heap. You know, we see this at work. We have families that are sitting in here right now. Who have children who are pregnant with children. That they've been fighting for, for years. Almost a decade. And each time that they're born or even announced to be born, we're going to blow this roof off. We're going to erupt with praise. Because what's happening in this place is that we are preaching good news to the poor. And what you can do with your testimony is you take it out there. You let them know about the power of God that has given you purpose so that they can experience the power of God for their purpose. Tell your testimonies of what God has done in your life and in this church. Don't back away. Don't shy away from glorifying what God has done just in the past month. Much less the years in the past. Lastly, in Acts 10, verse 30. This is Cornelius. And he says, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I went for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God 
to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What was Cornelius in poverty of? A greater understanding of Messiah. A greater understanding of who Jesus was. And what facilitated him as a recipient of this? That God heard his prayers. That he had sown in the heavenly realms to a point where a proselyte, a Gentile converted to Judaism, not even knowing the name of Jesus yet, built a memorial in the heavenly realms and provided a means for God to speak in a vision to Peter on a roof. And it led to he and his whole household experiencing the fullness of relationship with the living God through Yeshua. They got filled with the Holy Ghost as Peter was preaching. And then had to baptize him after the fact. How powerful is your words to those who are in poverty? It is everything. It is life and death. It may be watering the dry desert and arid nature that they are sitting in. And you have the watering of their souls in your grasp. Say power. Power. With a purpose. purpose. Second thing from Isaiah 61. Bind up the brokenhearted. Carlos, your word during worship, spot on. Speaking about the brokenhearted. God used you to confirm that this is the word for our church in this hour and day. Because this was one of the epicenters of this message. Let's begin with this. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other. With all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know how we practically put into practice, or put it, yeah, put into practice? Power with a purpose in binding up the brokenhearted. We wrap people's hearts with the word. We wrap people's hearts with the word. You know, one of the commands in Deuteronomy was, these commands I give you today will be upon your heart, upon your mind. You're to bind them around your arms and around your foreheads as symbols. You're to put them on the door frames of your home. How do we minister to people's broken hearts? Well, empathy is never an option. I want to highlight that to you and stress it to you. Particularly those of you who have a very compassionate, tender, and soft heart. Empathy cannot repair broken hearts. The Word of God wrapping around the fragments can. You know, literally what this means when you break it in Hebrew is that it is a crushed, a pulverized center of their being. That the word soul more relates to our English understanding of a broken heart. You get dumped by someone you're dating. It breaks your heart. It hurts. 
It can feel like the center of your soul, but it's not the end of your life. That's our, our, our mind, our will and emotions getting affected, and partially, to be honest, the center of our being. But what I'm talking about is that the epicenter, the core of who a person is being stomped out and crushed, that there's nothing left to them, that they are pulverized, and they don't know what to do to put their life back together. Everything they touch crumbles and is full of death. To have empathy alone is to leave them in the same state that you found them and maybe even worse now with a justification that they are a victim. You know, psychology does a great job of this. They allow the person to express what has crushed the center of their being. And every experience that I've ever seen with someone going to a psychologist has resulted in nothing but a game of blame and becoming a victim. That it's everyone else's responsibility and fault for the way that they are. That may not have been the words that the psychologist or Christian counselor told them, but that is the conclusion of the sinful nature every single time. What happened right after the fall in the garden hasn't changed since that day. The way that you repair this earth, the way that you take on the mezuzah statement of your king, which is Isaiah 61, and begin to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted, is that you wrap them, you surround them with the word of God. Why do we have scripture cards? Why do we have stones that we keep by our side at all time? Because I don't know, the word of God is true. If what we do is say with our mouths and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, he still is alive today, God still heals, the blood of Jesus saves, and yet we run to every other resource to fix our problems other than the word, we're a liar. We truly don't believe that it is God's word that can fix our problems. That's when it's put to the test. When you're standing there and your child cannot breathe because they have asthma. And you're wondering, do I run to the emergency room right now? Or do I command in the name of Jesus the breath to enter into his lungs? Let me tell you, the word of God is true. That you have authority in the name of Jesus to speak to those lungs. It's by your words in your hands that you can command life into that child. And while you're doing that, your ears are open. And if the Spirit of God says, go to the emergency room right now, then you go. But the Spirit of God is upon you to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. It's upon you to heal the sick and to raise the dead. We got to believe it. We got to trust it. We got to act upon it. It's not for a select few. That when you begin to surround your heart and other people's center of their being with the word of God, there is no room left for fear to enter in. His word will be a shield to your soul. And in doing so, what was once crushed, what was once broken, is now mended and is put back together. You know, I stand here with a wife that was crushed before Jesus found her. Her life was pulverized. And I watched the power of God transform who she is. 
I watched God deliver her from depression. I watched God deliver her from addictions. I watched God deliver her from her own sinful nature. That was minor, but there was a sinful nature. I watched her become the woman of God that I saw her to be when I first saw, met her. When I knew she was to be my wife, I was playing the djembe on a worship team. We were mildly dating at the time. And when I looked and saw her hands raised, her worshiping, I saw the woman then that I have now. I saw a silver ring on her finger. I saw her mature, complete, competent, and capable. And all of the efforts to bind up her broken heart were aimed at the purpose of getting to that end result that I now possess. You have to fight, saints. You have to fight day in and day out, applying God's word to whatever situation that you come across that is broken and that is crushed. And if you persist, it can be restored. Say power Power. with a purpose. purpose. Number three, proclaim freedom for the captives. This is evangelism. It's missions. And it's almost Easter, y'all. It's the time of year where we celebrate chocolate and eggs and chickens that lay chocolate eggs and rabbits that lay Cadbury eggs. I don't know how that goes. That we have this one opportunity, even though it is rooted in just horrific pagan culture. We have this opportunity, though, that everyone in the world associates Easter with Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you, if not command you to do. Go proclaim some freedom to some captives. Let's use Easter to do it. It's the one time of year that I went to church as a lost heathen. The guilty conscience that I had at least caved in that one day per year. So take this opportunity, invite people to come and experience the power of God that can then develop the purpose of God for their lives. Let's utilize it. So a scripture that goes with that. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.24. Y'all hanging in there? Woo, hallelujah. Shanda Bahaya. Brother Barry would be proud. Second Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. In hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape From the scandalon, the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Saints, this is a very clear, it's a pashat method of how to proclaim freedom for the captives. You know, those of you who go to prison, 
You guys, man, y'all tear it up every single time. Guys and ladies alike. Worship like a boss. You say things like, if you're dressed in orange, you know you're guilty. No doubt about it. If you're not guilty of what they say you are, you're guilty of something else. Then you have a target audience with a very clear objective. They are a captive, but they're a captive to their own end more than they are a captive to just a prison system. As you proclaim that, take this and read this on your way to prison. Start with the very beginning of verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Now, there will be be times when you will have debates, you will have questions that people have about the gospel, about biblical truths. Every single time, they're only trying to justify something they have predetermined in their own heart and thereby a, a sin that they are attached to. Every time. No matter how complex the question. It is a revelation of the condition of their heart. Quarreling, though, will never lead to the condition of their heart. It will only harden the position between you and that other person. So through this, you're experiencing God's power for a purpose. And that purpose is that you're aiming for is that they repent. That God grants them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses. You know, when we are angry and when we're quarreling, our IQ and mental ability is that that is below a level of being competent. It is that of being mentally retarded. And I don't say that in a joking way. I mean that in a true sense where we don't have the ability to have cognitive function. So why do you think that getting angry in a conversation about doctrine is going to make you superior? It'll make you a a dummy. You won't know what you're talking about. So instead, step back, realize that the Spirit of God is upon me to preach good news. And I'm going to proclaim freedom for someone who is held captive to their sin. That's what you're aiming for. And that person that wants to stir up a contentious quarrel with you is really just dying to justify their position of sin. And your admonition is to get them to be free in the name of Jesus. Let's seek freedom. Say power. Power. With a purpose. purpose. Amen. Number four. Release from darkness. For the prisoners. I'm going to read this to you. Write it down in your notes. Acts 26 verse 17 and 18. This is Jesus speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus as he is giving his testimony before a government official. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Let me ask you a series of questions. What will you what will your next conversation do for this person you're speaking to? Is it going to release them from a darkened area or just a total darkness of their life? Are you looking for their eyes to be opened and see 
the magnificence and the glory of who God is. I can't say that word. Are you looking for them to experience Jesus like you did? Will it open their eyes and set them free from what they are blind to? And one of the hardest ones is self-deception. There's also just having ignorance. They don't know. But probably the most formidable one is pride. When you're having these conversations with people, no matter where you go, you're taking the power that you've received, being in fellowship here, spending time with the Lord alone. Are you preaching in such or sharing in such a manner as releasing them from this power of darkness? All of a sudden, scales fall off of their eyes. And now they can see Jesus. That may take more than one conversation. You know, being gentle, being polite, wanting them to repent. You know how you know when a word that you speak was sent by God through your mouth and is being effective? When they tell you the next day, all they can think of in their sleep and all they hear in their mind is that word that you spoke. Isaiah 55, 9 through 12 is one of my favorites. It says, heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways. The snow falls upon the mountains and does not return back to the earth void. So my words are, they're sent out and they don't return back void. Our words are able to set captives free and open the eyes of the blind in darkness when they're sent out by the power of God and achieve their purpose. You can do that. You can do it. Megan, you have the ability to speak to people who come in and out of Bahama Bucks, little plug right there, and while they're getting their Slurpee or whatever it is, I don't know what they make there, frozen margaritas, I, I don't know. While they're getting their product, you have the ability to speak words that release somebody from the power of sin and darkness. It reveals to them the condition of their hearts. Jacob Kelsky, you have the ability to look at people and proclaim freedom for those held in sin and captivity in your school. Then maybe even without words, just seeing your demeanor, the glory and presence of God on your shoulders and your face, the holiness that resides in your own life, brings them to conviction just like Dagon in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It falls on its face and its heads and it, its head and its hands are broken off. Each and every one of us have the ability and the responsibility to be used by God. No one is exempt from that whatsoever. Let's go to number five. The last one. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is where it gets really good. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now 
is the day of salvation. The most impactful, the most powerful thing that you possess as a believer is your personal testimony of interacting with the power of God. That by taking that testimony and having a purpose of sharing it with other people, you're going to set captives free. You're going to bring a message of salvation. I hope that you run into people this week that are experiencing tumultuous situations in their own home. Whether it be on the near side of divorce, kids going astray. But there is chaos because God designed you to step into that situation. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What God has done for you. What he's spoken into your chaos. The way that he's delivered you from those situations. And began to put their life back in order like God put your life back in order. Come on, I don't know about you, but what I have witnessed within this church is those of you who come in... You were a mess. You were a chaotic mess. You were like the earth in Genesis 1-2. It was worse than a playroom for a two-year-old. And the Spirit of God hovered over your chaos. And when you stepped into the fellowship with His Spirit, the repentance based on His Word... His word spoke into your darkness. The testimony of God pierced your darkness. And he said, let there be light in Nolan's life. I remember in 2006, him sitting on the fourth row back on the right hand side facing the crowd. And him sitting there stoned as all get out. Had no clue what life was about. And But what I saw is the power of God began to impact his darkness. And it changed this man's life. He now stands with a wife and a child on the way. A mind that is clear. Discernment like nobody's business. The ability to worship like a boss. God put his life back in order. And that's one of many. The year of the Lord's favor was proclaimed to him. You know, if you come to Jesus just to escape hell, you're going to run into another hell. Because you'll never be able to get away from your guilty conscience. But if what you're running to is, Lord, I really am horrible at running my own life. You be Lord. Take it all. Here it is at the altar. Take all of who I am. I want to dwell within your favor. I want to dwell in right relationship with you. That my sin has overrun me and I have nowhere else to go. I've made a mess of my life. It's all yours. And I'm just a dead man looking for the resurrection. That's when God's favor begins to fall upon you. And you repent of your sins and the power of God transforms who you are. You know... It's a beautiful thing to watch when people first get born again. They evangelize better than anybody else. They tell everybody about Jesus. And everyone can see that there's something authentic. What we have to make sure is that we do not wane. We do not lose the zeal for God's favor. We don't lose that passion 
for proclaiming salvation is for now and is for today. We have to be ever presenting the power of God that gave us purpose. Last scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. Gave you guys five distinct things to put into practice that fulfill the power with a purpose in Isaiah 61. But this is where it just all comes together. It's the gratin at the bottom of the barrel. You don't know what that is? That's Cajun for that yummy, sticky stuff at the bottom of a jambalaya pot. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. That our God may count you worthy of his calling. And that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. And every act prompted by your faith. So as we stand to our feet. We're going to take our hearts. And we're going to lay them at the feet of our king. And we're going to ask, Lord, show me. Show me. How to receive your power and how to put it into a purpose. What do you want me to do with this experience? This infilling of the Holy Ghost. This magnification of a scripture. This prompting of my heart to pray for something that's specific. Lord, what do I do with this power that you're giving me? And in doing so, we're going to trust That God is going to fulfill every good purpose that he has for you. And in turn, you sharing that power with others is going to fulfill every good purpose God has for their lives. Let's begin to pray.